glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Get your finger there, Matthew 5. Let's go over Philippians chapter 2. And um, forgive me, I'm kind of doing this on the fly. The Lord's brought this to my mind. I believe it would be helpful to read this at the onset. We were preaching about us being the light of the world this morning. The Bible says in um, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. And I believe reading those verses first puts what we're going to read at the conclusion of the Beatitudes this morning in context to us. Here's a people in Philippi that are living in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, a dark world they were living in, as are we, and they're told to shine forth as lights. And they do that by working out what God was working in. That's another way of saying, let your light so shine before men. He didn't say work for your own salvation. Is that what he said? He said work out your own salvation, meaning you have salvation in you. Now work it on the outside of you. Jesus will say in Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The good word believed in a heart produces good works. We've been hearing the word of Jesus Christ through the Beatitudes. As those are accepted as his word and will for our lives, and we submit to those, not only the judgments that he makes, but the instruction he gives, then we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So now back over to Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. In fact, let's just uh, let's go back to verse 13. I'm not going to read all the Beatitudes again. We've gone through those and used different people in the Bible to uh, illustrate the truths that are found here. Excuse me, please. Verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. And he goes on to say, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I believe this. The test of my faith is when I have opportunity to demonstrate that faith in front of someone else who doesn't have it. That's when my true faith is tested. I say, I believe that Jesus Christ, I believe what the Bible says, He's the Son of God. Uh, He is the creator of the universe who came in the body of flesh. We can go through the whole uh, theology of Christ and we can know what we believe. But the test of that is when I meet someone who believes just the opposite. I meet a Muslim and they say, I don't believe that. I believe Jesus is a good man, but he's not the Son of God. All of a sudden, am I going to be true to what I believe or am I going to say, well, I I understand, you know, everybody has a different view, but this is my view. (laughs) I'm going to say, no, the truth is he is the Christ. He is the Son of God. Our faith is put to the test. We say, well, as a child of God, I've been saved. I am a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. I'm to put off the old man and put on the new. And I get a hold of that through the preaching of God's Word and the study of God's Word. And I understand that means a change in my language, a change in my attitude, a change in my work ethic, a change in my relationship with uh, my loved ones. I understand all of that. But then I get out in a world that lives just the opposite. And all of a sudden, whether or not I really believe His Word is put to the test. And may I just remind us this morning that Faith without works is dead, being alone, James 2.17 says, meaning a living faith will produce good works. Good works do not constitute faith, 
but a genuine faith will produce good works. And so I say all that to kind of just get the setting here this morning, to kind of get our minds on the right track. But the Lord Jesus, again, is likening His disciples, those who believe on Him, those who accept His Word as authoritative, those who believe Him to be the Son of God. He says, those of you that are my disciples, here's what you're like. You're the salt of the earth. We covered that last week. I won't review it. But then he says, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so I'm going to give you four things this morning about the fact that God's people, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are saved we who are part of a local New Testament church, we who have been birthed and born again in the family of God and in the body of Jesus Christ, and we can describe us a number of ways, but we are the light of the world. Now, before I get into the heart of this message and the outline itself and the four points I want you to focus on this morning that might help us, I want us to think about this. I want to bring up some things I said last week. Um, light or darkness is really, if you want to define darkness, it's the absence of light. It's the absence of light. And I think it's time for God's people to take a very sincere and hard look at our culture and our world and say, what responsibility do we have for this? I don't think there's any doubt that lies are used every day to manipulate people, including even masses of people. Individuals use lies daily. Uh, Where Satan is in control then lying is the primary tool to accomplish one's purpose. We live in a very deceitful world. Would you agree? So much so that today uh, you get to the point where it's like, I don't know who to trust, which is, I believe, exactly where Satan wants us. When all along you know you can trust God. For the Christian, I will say, okay, well, then I'll just focus on what my Bible says. I won't worry so much about what's said on Facebook or what's said on the news now, I'll hear it, but I'm going to really just believe what the Bible says because all the other sources have proven that they are not very credible. I think for a Christian, it's a great time. A good time to get refocused on your Bible. Amen? This book has been tested for thousands of years and come out on the credible side of things. So uh, all you got to do is test a news channel for a few weeks and you'll find and catch them in some lives. It's true. Now, I said it's a sad day to me when people are truly looking to social media and to the Internet more to fact-check than they are to the Bible. Now, I expect the lost world to do that. What troubles me is that saved people are doing it. That's troublesome. You want to fact-check something, go to your Bible. That's the fact-check because the author of this book knows everything. And so my point to you this morning is this. If darkness is spreading, if more deception about... Let's just think about this. Evolution is darkness. Evolution is not the revelation of a truth. It's the concealment of a truth. Don't miss what I just said. Evolution is not the revelation of a truth that was discovered. It is the concealment of a truth that was delivered. Evolution is not about revealing how we got here. It's about hiding how we got here. That's what it's about. If you think of evolution as, well, Darwin did go down to the Galapagos Islands and he did see the changing of the species. Anybody with half a mind that studies biology know that species change inside their species. That's not evolution. And I'm not a scientist. But that's what he used to build the theory of evolution. If you really study, he was angry at God and had decided he didn't want a God who would let his little daughter die. And that's the truth of it. He was a bitter man who developed a theory to conceal the truth of creation. Now, I understand evolution is not exclusively with Charles Darwin. There were men who have toyed with that idea for a long time because they are not willing to retain God in their knowledge. And if you're not willing to retain God in your knowledge, you have to explain our existence some other way. May I say this? Islam is not the revelation of a truth. It's the concealment of the gospel. Mormonism is not the revelation of truth. It's the concealment of the gospel. Jehovah's Witness uh, doctrine is not the revelation of truth. It's the concealment of the gospel. It is counter-truth, which is lies, in order to turn you away from the truth. What it is. Calvinism is not the discovery of a great theological system. It's the concealment of the true grace of God. Let's keep going on here. Every lie that man develops is the, revel- it is the revelation of where he rejected truth. We begin promoting lies at the moment we reject the truth. 
And so this morning, there are not multiple truths. Truth is singular. There are multiple lies in order to conceal truth. And the longer we live, the more lies you see taken seriously. Many people are living their entire lives today out of fear of death, and they're willing to believe a lie that they think they'll be safe if I follow this pattern of living. I was talking to Brother Derek this week, and he brought a great point. He said the god Dagon that the Philistines worshipped was the god of pestilence meaning he was in control of pestilence. And so they would make offerings to that God so that he would keep pestilence out of their land. Disease, storms, bad weather. You realize most Americans today are bowing down backwards to do anything to keep trouble out of our lives. We think money is the answer to our pestilence. That's why the way to answer climate change is spend more money. The way to answer our education woes is spend more money. Just call it Dagon. We'll do anything to keep natural disasters out of our life and sickness out of our life. You just tell us what to offer. We'll, we'll offer anything. We'll offer our freedom if we must. And it's working. COVID is solved. Natural disasters have ended. I, I'm kind of practical. You tell me something works, it needs to work. <laughs> you say, what's this all about? You, what are you preaching on? I'm preaching on the permeation of darkness in our world. Men are more prone to believe a lie than the truth. But if darkness is seeming to prevail in our land, I understand that's what's going to take place before the Lord returns. But do you realize His command for us didn't change? That even in the darkest of times, we're still supposed to shine. And the light that we shine are the things that we do by faith and obedience to his word. That's the light. And so then, let me give you these four things. I'll just begin. I wanted to say, if darkness is prevailing, darkness is the absence of light. Is it because there is no light in our nation, no light in our community, or because the light is being put under wraps? Hmm? That's it this morning. If you're saying, I'm convinced we have... Thousands upon thousands of truly born-again people in this land. But we're so afraid. We always looked at in Sunday school, so afraid of what man may do unto us. We're willing to put our light under a bushel, under a bed, or in some secret place. Let's see four things this morning about our light. Number one, the Lord Jesus begins by telling us light is present in this dark world. He speaks of the presence of light. He says to us who are his disciples, ye are the light of the world. Now, there might seem to be a contradiction because in John chapter 8, verse 12, he said, I am the light of the world. And then in John chapter 9, verse 4, he says the same thing again uh, when he said, 9, 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Got a question. Is Jesus physically in body of flesh and bone still in this world or did he leave this world? He left it and he left us in his place. So when he says, I am the light of the world, you are the light of the world, those are consistent statements. You think of it this way, every candle has a wick and there's fuel. Every light has fuel that must burn. In a light bulb, we call it filament. In a candle, you call it a wick. And every every filament or whatever is burning has to have fuel that makes it burn. In, in, in oil lamps, you have a wick and you have the oil. And there's an analogy there for us. Many of the candles, the candles that burned in the temple, had oil in them and a wick inside. And the priest must trim that wick every morning. In essence, you and I are the the whole thing. We are the wick with the oil. The Holy Spirit of God is the oil. And you know what happens? As He burns in our life, it consumes us. We decrease, He increases, and light is shined. Amen? You know what? Sometimes we get candles and we put them out for decoration. You know what you don't want to do with a candle that you're trying to decorate with? Well, don't light it. Because you won't look at it. They say you can't have your cake and eat it too. Well, you can't have your candle and burn it too. (laughs) And many times we don't want to be consumed, but light has to be consumed before it can be light. Something has to be consumed to produce light. And our lives are intended. What Jesus is saying is you are here as a light. Light is present. And he says, that's us. This morning, we, me, you who are saved, born again, indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God, we are the light of the world. Let me just put it to you this way. He is the source of the light. He's the source, we're the signal. He's the source, we're the channel. All right. So the, His light, His His truth is channeled through us. 
and, uh, and is revealed through our lives. Look with me, if you would, very quickly. I just want to establish the truth that Jesus is himself the light of the world, and it is as he dwells in us and works through us that his light shines by us. That's what he means when he says, I am the light of the world, ye are the light of the world. He's the true light. He is the sun, but his light is channeled through us into a dark world. And so, John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. We'll give you a number of verses on the source of our light. So this morning, if you've never received Jesus Christ, if he has invited you to receive him as your Savior, and you've not yet said, yes, I will put my trust in you, if he has spoken to you in your conscience through preaching, through teaching, through the Scripture in some way, shape, or form, he's used somebody in your life to show you you're a sinner, you are condemned, you need me to save you, you are corrupt in yourself, but I will transform you. If you've not said yes to him yet, I will allow you to do for me what you came on earth to do, and that is to save me from my sin. You're not a light. You're just darkness. You must be born again before the verses we're going to read apply because he is the true light. And without him, we have, we have no light in us. Uh, John 1, 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the, and it's capital L, light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, capital L, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, his own received him not, verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. John chapter 3, John chapter 3, Jesus again is referred to as the light, and his words as the light. John 3, verse 18, He that believeth on him, talking about Jesus Christ, is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Meaning, if you're doing sin and evil, you're going to hide from the light so nobody can see what you really are. But if you're following the truth and you're not anything to hide, then you'll come to the light to show that what you're doing is wrought in God. All right, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. John 8, 12. John 8, 12. And these next two verses really explain how he is the light and we are the light. John chapter 8, verse 12. What we're dealing with here is the Lord declares that there is presence of light. Though the world is dark, darkened by sin, Adam and Eve, the first thing they did after they sinned is they went in the dark. They did wrong and they went and hid behind a bush. And then they tried to conceal what they'd done with fig leaves, meaning darkness entered this world through sin. You say, well, the world was in darkness. Yeah, but God said, let there be Light and spiritual darkness entered when man sinned. And so, yes, the world is dark. And yes, Satan has worked at putting every light out so that he can do what he wants to do in the dark. But the Lord Jesus said, but there is light present. I am the light of the world, therefore ye are the light of the world. John chapter 8, verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. This is how you and I become light. When we trust in him, we follow him. He's the light. And if we're following him, we have the light. And therefore, again, we are the light. John 9, 5 again, he says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But in Matthew 5, he says, Ye are the light of the world. And we combine all these verses. He says, I'm the light of the world, but you're the light of the world. What we find is he's the source. He's the source of light. We are the signal. He is the source of of light, but we are the channel through which his light shines. How significant does that make our role as Christians? How significant when he says, you're the one that's going to reveal the truth. Isn't that what light does? And that will bring us here in just a moment to uh, uh, another point. But we've seen the presence of light. He's the source. We're the signal. Number two, we see the provision of light. You go back to Matthew chapter 5, what he says is this, you are the light of the world. Meaning, how do we then, if we are the light, then how does this light get disseminated into a dark world? Well, I think if we listen closely to what he says, we'll get the idea. The Lord used 
parables or parallels, physical things that parallel spiritual truth for a reason because he understands. How hard is it to understand something physical? If I asked you folks, uh, where is Schweitzer? Can anybody tell me? Schweitzer Mountain. Okay. Where is it? Somebody help me. South of here. What is the best way for me to see Schweitzer Mountain? Now, I can climb up there and try to find it, but if you were thinking, you say, well, let it get dark on a winter night and just drive anywhere in the vicinity of Sandpoint, and you'll see it miles away. Anybody ever seen that mountaintop glow? You know why? Because there's a lot of lights up there, especially on night skiing. <laughs> I mean, that place glows. You can see the glow of that sky from my house. Let me put it this way. Bonner's Ferry is not really on much of a hill. We call this the South Hills. It's a little bit. But from my house, which is about five, six miles from here, I can see the glow of the city from my house because of its where it sits. I can see the glow in the sky. And Bonner's Ferry is a small town. Uh, but here's what the Lord says. He's so wise. He says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. Notice he does two things. He likens the provision of our light to two things. It's like a city on a hill. When you have a city on a hill, what it is, it is a, is a collection of multiple individual lights in one place. That's what you have. You have multiple houses, and inside of those multiple houses are multiple lights burning, and out, out of the windows those lights go, and then you get 12 houses in a row, and on the other side of the street, 12 or 13 houses in a row, and then another street with another 20 houses, and then another business with 25 lights. It's a multitude of individual lights being put together in one place in a prominent position, and it gives light. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. I wonder today if a lost sinner was being worked on by God about their eternity, could they find a collection of lights in one place where they might get the truth about who God really is, about who they really are? Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Could they look around and say, it's over there? You know what a city on a hill is? It's a local church. It's the light in the collective. It's multiple lights in one place in a prominent position where it can be seen. In both of these, the light has to be elevated to be seen. We are not elevated by pride. We are elevated by holiness. Meaning, have you ever heard say, take the high ground? Take the high ground. The idea would be, when you're on a hill that's symbolic, don't miss this, I don't want to run this too far. You can run any symbolism too far. But on a hill... That is a people that are closer to heaven than others. People that are living closer to God than other people. Does that make sense? If you're on a hill, it doesn't mean you've climbed up there to God. It means that His holiness in your life separates you from the rest of the world. And that is born throughout the Bible. 1 Corinthians 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse uh, chapter 7, uh, Titus chapter 3, that what distinguishes us from the world is the holiness of God in our lives, that they realize what's different with you is you live by a different set of principles. And the Bible says, For the grace of God hath appeared to all men, teaching us, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly, where? In this present world. You know what righteously, soberly, and godly is? It's a hill. It is a place that distinguishes and separates. It makes God's people peculiar to where people can see the truth of God manifest in the way we live our lives. And so the, the provision of light is through the collective as we are collected together in fellowship around God, around the, the, the position of righteousness in Jesus Christ, and we are brought into fellowship by our mutual submission to His authority, we are like a city that is set on a hill. But then He gets into the individual. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. If you had a city, and all of a sudden, one candle at a time, people start storing it under the bed, the city, number one, is not as bright as it used to be. But if everybody starts storing their candles, no longer can you see the collective light because one at a time it's going out. Our foe is no fool. He will, he will give you bushels. 
to put your candle under. He will give you beds. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. To hide your candle under. He'll give you places to hide it and talk you into doing it. Because when we shine, Satan's lies get exposed. When you and I submit to Christ and obey him and follow him as we should as believers in him, what happens is our good works reveal the lies of Satan and we can represent our Lord faithfully. And so the provision of light is by a city. The Lord uses the analogy of a city. That is how we shine when you put a lot of candles together in one place. You've got a city that makes a huge light. It's co- that's collectively. And then individually, we're a candle. And then he says, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candle stick, the provision of light. Turn very quickly if you would. I don't think there's... The Spirit of God doesn't make accidents. So turn to Revelation chapter 1. Where do candles belong? On a what? Candlestick. And in the book of Revelation, a candlestick is a picture and type of what? A church. Every candle needs to be attached to a candlestick. That's Bible, friend. You've got a light, and you're a light whether you're on a candlestick or not. Your salvation has nothing to do with whether or not you're attached to a local New Testament church. But the Bible says a light that's stuffed under a bed is doing nobody any good. It needs to be on a candlestick. It needs to be attached to a local church where it can shine and serve the Lord. Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Verse 13 of Revelation 1. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps of the golden girdle. And then it ex- describes the appearance of Jesus Christ here. Verse 20. He says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. So he's going to interpret the mystery here, the symbolism. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So candlestick here in Scripture, is, especially as it relates to the child of God, it is a picture and type of a church. And these were seven local New Testament churches. I can't help but read Matthew 5 and say, you know what, you've got a light and it needs to be joined up to a candlestick so that your light can do what it's supposed to. The church is not a doorway to heaven. The church is a candlestick to help candles do their job. The number one purpose of a church is to facilitate service for Christ, to to teach God's people how to do good works in their life, both through accountability, through fellowship, through the preaching, the teaching, the instruction of the music, and uh, the, 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 the positive peer pressure that comes from being part of a local New Testament church, so that a candlestick, it doesn't make a candle a candlestick. You're saved. You're a light. But if you want to be effective in the service of Christ, you need to be on a candlestick. Amen. That's good preaching. Amen. That's right. And so then, the presence of light, the provision of light, it's good because it's right out of God's Word. Amen? That's what God's Word states. How I many you know this? How hard does Satan work to keep saved people from being attached to a local New Testament church? Very hard. He do everything he can to get offended not only at a church but at church. I'm just going to serve God alone. The Lord says, no, your candle needs to be on candlestick. I think one of the reasons Satan has fueled scandal in local churches is to turn candles away from candlesticks. He says, you know what? Don't get on a candlestick. You'll get hurt there. Your light might burn out. So if you want to preserve your candle, put it under a bushel. That's right. A a, a candle put under a bushel will stay that way forever. It will not be useful. But candles were made to burn, not to store. Amen? And so then, the presence of light, the provision of light, city and a candle. Number three, the purpose of light. What is the purpose of light? What's it here to do? Well, we know light gives life. That's what the sun does. But especially here, if you want to see the purpose of light, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. This is where, again, we're told in the epistle to the Ephesians that we are light in the Lord. We're called light again, meaning we not only have light, we are light. Our lives are to do a few things. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm so grateful for a Bible that doesn't just give concepts, it gives instruction. Amen? Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll read a number of verses here. If you read verses 1 through 6, you'll find a list of things that are characteristic of the unsaved person. 
Okay, so they're characteristics of the old life. He mentions things like fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talking and jesting, uh, uh, being a whoremonger, an unclean person, or a covetous man, or an idolater. He says these things are, are what you were, but you're to walk in love. And if you're walking in love, you don't partake of those things. And he says, verse 7, Be not ye therefore partakers with them. He says that because of verse 6 he says, let no man deceive you, that's darkness, let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Well, if we're saved, we're not children of disobedience anymore, we're children of obedience. Verse 7, Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship. Not only don't partake in their deeds by doing it, but have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't agree in any measure with unfruitful works of darkness. He says, but rather, what's he say? Reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light, Wherefore, he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and rise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. He says, You need to walk as children of light. Your life needs to reveal, by your righteous living, you need to reveal ungodly living, and that the wrath of God is on that. That's, that's what he's saying. So light does a couple of things. It reveals... It reproves. Now, reprove means to convince fully. Uh, how many of you know that the longer we're going, more evil things are being called good? Meaning darkness, there are people that are literally looking on lifestyles that are unbelievably destructive. Have you ever done any study at all on the statistics of suicide among those who are involved in the sodomite community? You have any idea how destructive that lifestyle is to those who engage in it? I'd love to see a Surgeon General's warning on that lifestyle. But you're not going to. You know what you and I have to do? We have to live clean lives. One man, one woman, till one of us dies. And that reveals that that's sin. Our light not only reveals what they're doing is wrong, but it fully convinces. And what's happening? What's happening this morning? You have places that claim to be church saying, in the name of acceptance, love, and equity, we will accept darkness and embrace it. In the name of love? In the name of love, I'm going to affirm someone committing suicide at a slow rate? That's what it is. Every sin willfully committed is just a form of suicide. That's all it is. And yet we're going to embrace that? I understand we need to love sinners, but you love sinners by not concealing their sin, but revealing it. You and I will never do any sinner a blessing by pretending that their sin is righteous. Amen? Well, it's true. Light reproves. Light reveals, meaning light convinces not of what we want to be true, but of what is. And the Bible says we are light in the Lord. That's our job. And we do that by living in accordance with his will and his word. And so the purpose of light is to reveal the truth, to reprove. That word reprove goes beyond revealing what is true, but fully convincing of the truth. Fully convincing. I'm going to tell you something. One of the hardest things to do is to convince someone they are personally in sin. They'll say, I am a sinner. Have you noticed this? When someone says, I'm a sinner, what they'll do is always reference something they once did, not what they are currently doing. Reproof is not, no, I'm a sinner because one time I sinned or a hundred times I sinned. I'm a sinner because I'm living in sin. Amen? And we like to think about sin as past and future. You say, what's this have to do with us? We're the light of the world. It is our job to reveal what's true about God and reprove of it, to reveal what is true about sin and reprove of it. The Spirit of God reproves the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And how is he doing that today? Through us. We are the light. Now, let me ask you something. When you're a light, let's, let's put it this way. Let's say you're working in a bank 
and you become privy to the fact that your manager is embezzling money. Now you've got a decision to make, don't you? You say, well, I would never embezzle money myself. Wonderful, that's good. We should have a conviction about that, amen? <laughs> we also have a, a decision, am I going to shed light on that or am I going to help conceal that? Because now that I know it, if I help conceal it, I am part of it. Now, I understand charity covereth a multitude of sins, but that's through repentance and forgiveness, not cover-ups. Amen? I understand the repentance and forgiveness. Aren't you glad the Lord isn't broadcasting your sins all over the world today because he forgave you? But that's because you repented toward him and he forgave you, not because he's helping you continue in it. So we're to re- reproof. You take this person, they say, well, I know my manager is, uh, is embezzling money, and you think, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. Man, you're in a bad spot. What would keep you from just bringing things to light? If your manager knows you're starting to pass on some information to upper management above him or her, what are they going to try to do to the light? When you have a witness, an eyewitness, that can prove a murder took place, you know what defense does first and foremost? You have to discredit the witness. This is why we refrain from being the light. We know that when we're the light, there will be an effort to go discredit the witness. Amen? So we pull back through fear of man, and yet the purpose of light is to reveal, to reprove, ultimately for what reason? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. God is being accused in our day of being complicit with things that he strictly forbade and that he said are an abomination in his sight. And yet he is being represented as putting his stamp of approval on things that are literally destroying people's lives. And it's our job to say, that's not true of our God. Our God never created man to live like that, to think like that, to behave that way, to destroy himself through sin because God is love. God gave a solution for sin, not an affirmation of it. And he calls men to repentance Because he loves men. Repentance is a sweet, blessed gift from God. Don't fight it. We fight the very thing that blesses us. The Bible says that it's they that oppose themselves that need repentance. Amen? And you know what brings repentance? In 2 Timothy chapter 2, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but in meekness he is to instruct those that oppose themselves of God preventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may be recovered out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Satan captivates people through getting them to believe lies, and it's Christians who come along and say, you're being destroyed because you've believed a lie. Whether it's a brother in Christ or it's a lost person, the reproof and the revelation is not about showing we're better than people. It's about pulling them out of the darkness and from the snatches of the devil. We are light in the Lord. We reprove, reveal, and to bring repentance that God might get reverence to the glory of God. Amen? The presence of light. It's present. We, he's the source. We're the signal. The provision of light. We are collectively a city on a hill. We are individually a candle on a candlestick. The purpose of light to reveal, reprove, to bring repentance, to reverence God. Number four, if the light is here and it has a good purpose, the fruit of the Spirit is in all righteousness and goodness and truth. Amen? That's what light does. It produces righteousness and goodness and therefore the truth is shown that God is good and His ways are good and uh, His character is good. That's our job and we do that by obeying Him. Then why isn't there more light? If every saved person... I mean, honestly, do you think there's only like five saved people in America? I don't believe that. I really don't. I believe there are numbers upon numbers of people in America that are truly born again then what prohibits the light from shining? Why isn't there more revelation and reproof of the truth? Because of bushels and beds and secret places. When Jesus dealt with light, here's the crux to this message this morning. He gave us three things that will keep your light from shining. They don't change you from light into darkness. They just keep you from doing what God intended you to do. And that's be a light. Matthew 5 is our first one. Verse 15, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light under all that are in the house. A few months ago, I was reading this text, and I came across, I believe again, it was, I think it was John Phillips describing this, and began to describe the symbolism that Jesus used and what each of these prohibitions of light represent, and it is spot on. And so we'll get to it. The first one, a bushel. 
Now, for us, we have to think back just a little bit. But if I told you today, um, let your light so shine before men. Men do not light a candle and put it in a safe. Would that make any sense to anybody? What do we store in safes? Things that are valuable to us. You know what the bushel is representative of? Today, we measure profit by dollars. They measured it by bushels. How many bu- You planted how many pounds of seed? How many bushels did you get in return? The bushel is an economic term. Men do not light a candle and put it under a bushel. You know what one of the greatest stymieing of our light is? If I stand with Christ and I take his side on the issues and I represent him well, it's going to cost me financially. I might lose my job. Look, friend, I don't know if any Christian man or person who's been in a situation in a lost world where you're not going to be put in a position of being told you need to compromise at some point in time. Some point in time. Compromise the principles of God. I know of a man, uh, he was working for a paint company, and I believe I have my facts correct on this. He was a, a successful salesman for them, auto body paint. He loved the Lord, and he had a personal conviction against drinking alcohol. And so his company did not ask him to do that, but they said, we really, when you take clients out and, and try to sell them these things, I'm sure he was working with uh, auto repair shops and so forth, you need to offer them an alcoholic drink. And he believed, based on the Bible and his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, he could not promote such things. They didn't ask him to, but they said, if you're going to take our clients out, you need to offer that, and in company money, you purchase that for them. And he said, I can't do it. He lost his job. They fired him over it. Can we get a little closer to home? In the coming days, major organizations and school districts and uh, corporations are going to give you a sheet of paper and say, we want you to sign a compliance agreement. You will not be uh, complicit with hate crimes. You have to sign a line that you will not discriminate against or treat equally anyone living in this lifestyle. What are we going to do? That might cost me money. I'm going to put my light under a bushel. So, well, I don't agree with that, but I've got to feed my family. What do we feed our family with? Bushels. Oh, it's easy to preach on. But I'm telling you, friend, that's where we're coming. We already understand. People can look down the road and say, if I do this, my family may cut me out of the will. If they think I'm one of those Bible-thumping haters, they won't include my name. And for covetousness, we're still light. We just pretended we didn't have it. We pretend like we don't know what God thinks about all of these issues. And we won't speak the word of God. We shove it under a bushel. For financial expediency, we pretend we don't know what God says and what its effect is on our life. One of the greatest frauds in America is church people sitting in pews pretending they don't know what the application of the Bible is to their life. I said pretending because that's all it is. I know that verse is in the Bible and I know what it means, but if I obey that, it's going to cost me economically. But you know what? Some people are not threatened that way today. Some, you can take your stand, you're secure, maybe you're retired or you have a secure job or you're working for a company, praise God, that doesn't put that kind of pressure on you or you're self-employed. Well, what's the other thing we hide our bushel under? Well, I'm going if you would, uh, over to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. We're almost done. Luke chapter 8. Verse 16. And he's just in the middle of the parable of the seed and the sower. Remember, he dealt with seed that falls on thorny ground, meaning it takes root and it comes up, but it never bears fruit. That's like a candle that never gets lit, but gets put under something. He says in verse 16, No man when he hath lighted a candle covereth it with a vessel, that's like a bushel, Uh, with a vessel, or putteth it under a bed, but setteth it on a candlestick, that they which enter in may may see the light. What does a bed represent? Throughout the book of Proverbs, what do you find the slugger doing? What's the primary thing we do? We sleep on our bed. It's where we get comfortable. It's where we disengage from our responsibilities to get rest. A bed is fine for rest, but it's not made for covering candles. What happens here is... While one person may put their candle under a bushel because of covetousness, another one may put it under a bed because of slothfulness, meaning I desire comfort more than I do usefulness. 
My personal comfort is more important to me than representing God like I should. And so for just comfort, I just don't, I don't like the discomfort. I, I don't like confrontation. How many of you like confrontation? But friend, you know what light does? It confronts darkness. I'm going to say something. If you live right, you can speak the Bible in the softest and most conciliatory terms, but if it is what reveals why you're living, I've said this, if I said to you this morning, I don't drink alcohol or I don't go to bars or this because, you know, I just don't like the atmosphere. I don't like the taste. You tell me. Am I going to get a hard time for that? If I say, I, just prefer, I don't prefer, I don't like its effect on me. I don't like the way it makes me feel. But the moment I say, my Savior would not have me do that. I get every professing Christian who claims to love God down my throat because they love their stinking alcohol more than they love their Savior. I don't believe two people ought to shack up before they're married because God says fornication is sin. Amen? That's what the Bible says. Whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Why not warn those folk? You got judgment coming. And what happens is there's people say, that, well, we live in a different world, preacher. No, we live in the same kind of world. We've always lived one. It's dark. We've got to be light in the Lord. We go on with it, spiritual sins as well as outward sins. My point is this. It's not comfortable to be light in the dark world. So what we do? Instead of setting our light on a candlestick, we say, you know, I'd rather be in bed. Why would you put your candle under your bed, by the way? I don't know about you. I like it dark when I sleep. Jesus said, and through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. You're seeking comfort, not faithfulness. A lot of people say, I'm looking for a church where I can be. You want to serve God, don't look for that kind of church. They'll lull you right to sleep. <laughs> I don't, I, look, I don't want to go to sleep spiritually, do you? When, I, when he comes, I want to be shining. Amen. And so this morning, the first thing that prohibits light are bushels, money, love of money, love of things. Number two, a bed, love of personal comfort. Number three, look at Luke chapter 11. He mentions a third thing where we might put a candle instead of on a candlestick. Luke 11, verse 33. He says, No man... When he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that they which come in may see light. The only kind of secret place a Christian ought to have is where he meets alone with God. You know what? Many a, many a candle has been snuffed out, meaning I can't shine for God like I should because my conscience is stymied by my secret place. A man has a place where his wife can't find him. A child has a place where the parent can't find him or her. A wife has a place where husband doesn't know about. It may be a place on the internet. It may be a place in the house. But that's where you'll put your candle and stop shining. Sin kills the testimony of God's people. With me this morning? When Achan brought sin into the camp, it brought defeat to God's people. And where in one moment people were saying, what a God these people serve. Jericho fell flat by the sin of Achan. Ai said, they must not have much of a God because we whooped them. Defeated Christians make God look foolish. Defeated Christians who've stuck their candle. I can't shine because if I did, it would reveal me. I got a secret place and if the light is on, people know what I'm doing. Neither do men come to light lest their deeds should be reproved. Now listen, he says all this to his disciples. Could it be possible that you are genuinely a believer in Christ, but you have you a secret place where you're afraid to let the light of word of God come in lest you be revealed and reproved? Is it possible as a disciple of Jesus Christ that my personal comfort is more important than his pleasure? Is it possible that my personal advancement financially is more important than faithfulness to my Savior? And we wonder why darkness is prevailing in our land. Bushels and beds and secret places. At the point Jesus Christ wins my heart is the point I'll throw my bushel away and get me a candlestick and start serving God like I ought to. Then we'll be a light. I don't know about you, I would love to see Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church 
be an influence in Bonner's Ferry to see men come under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God. But beds and bushels in secret places will prevent that from happening. I said this is the crux of the message. And the answer to this is you've got to bed, repent this morning. You've got a bushel, repent of it. You've got a secret place, repent of it. If God's using the fervency of a preacher to get your attention, thank God for it. And get right with God. And do it, not later, not tomorrow, not next week. That's a bed. Let me ask you something. Is Jesus Christ worth losing a job over? Is He worth losing sleep for? Is He worth living a life that you're not afraid to be examined any time? You see the connection between our lesson in Sunday school and today. You know what creates hypocrites? Beds and bushels and secret places. Let's this morning not be ashamed of our Savior. Let me ask you something. And, and I'm not asking you to say, oh, I'll do this. I'm just saying, if He's revealing something's put my light out, something has stymied good works in my life that represent and reveal I belong to Him. He's my Master. See, that's what the world needs to know. They don't even know about us. A lot, how many of you go, ooh, what a beautiful candle. No, that's not a candle's a tool. It's not a trophy. It's a tool whereby people can see. Maybe God's speaking to hearts this morning. Is there some secret thing the Lord has whispered in my ear and I'm ashamed to identify with Him on? Ask, what is it? Is it a bed, a bushel, or a secret place, or all of the above? What is it that's keeping me from identifying? Here's what happens when His Word produces my actions, I'm shining. Hear that again. When His Word produces my deeds, I'm shining. When I'm simply doing something to conceal this or that, that's not the same. I believe the message is clear this morning. We're the light of the world. Jesus said, let your light so shine. Don't hide it. Don't hide your connection to me. Let my Word have place in you. And go out and let your light so shine that, and before men that they may see your good works, the things you're doing in obedience to me and glorify your Father which is in heaven.